Modern applications require modern operations, and modern operations requires a new definition for ownership that most classical organizations must provide. Today, I continue my discussion on modern ops with Beth Long. Are you ready? Let's go. This is the Modern Digital Business Podcast, the technical leader's guide to modernizing your applications and digital business. Whether you're a business technology leader or a small business innovator, keeping up with the digital business revolution is a must. Here to help make it easier with actionable insights and recommendations, as well as thoughtful interviews with industry experts, Lee Acheson. In this episode of Modern Digital Business, I continue my conversation on modern operations with my good friend, SRE Engineer and Operations Manager, Beth Long. This conversation, which focuses on service ownership and measurement, is a continuation of our conversation on SLAs in modern applications. In a previous episode, we talked about STOSA, and this fits very much into that idea, is the idea that um, how you organize your teams so that each team has a certain set of responsibilities. We won't go into all the details of STOSA, but bottom line is ownership is critical to the STOSA model. Ownership is critical towards all DevOps models. You're, if you own a service, you're responsible for how that service performs because other teams are depending on you to perform. What those performance, what it means to perform, the definition of what it means to perform is what an SLA is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does a good SLA look like? Beth, that's what, a great question. Let's get to the measurement. So it, it does get into measurement. Um, that that is always a hard question to answer. Um, if you you know if you look at the the textbook discussions of SLIs and SLOs and, and SLAs in particular, you'll often see references to a lot of the things that that are measurable. So you'll have your uh, your golden signals of you know error rate, latency, saturation, but you know so you you have these things that that um, allow you to say okay we we're going to tolerate uh, this many errors or this many of this type of error, um, this much latency, but all of that is kind of trying to distill down the customer experience into these things that that can be you know measured and and put on a dashboard um the term smart goals comes to mind right mm -hmm. that's that's i think is a good measure i know this idea of smart goals really hasn't been tied to slas too closely but i think there's a lot of similarities here so smart goals are five specific criteria they're specific measurable attainable relevant and time bound so now, the, the, I think all five of those actually apply here as well too, right? You want to, when you create your, your SLAs, they have to be specific. You can't say, yeah, we'll, we'll meet your needs. That's right. not a we'll specific goal. We'll give you a goal, good but, experience. <laughs> but in my mind, yeah, like a good, good measurement is something like, we will, our, we will maintain five milliseconds latency on average for 90% of all requests that come in. And, and I also like to put in an assuming. Assuming you meet these criteria, such as amount of traffic, you know, you have the traffic load is less than X number of requests permitted or whatever the, the criteria is. 
So in my mind, it's a specific measurement with, with bounds for what that means under assumptions. And these are the assumptions. So something like five milliseconds average latency for 90% of requests, assuming the request rate is less than 5,000 requests per second. Uh, and assuming both those things occur, and you could also have assuming the request rate is at least 100 per second because caching can, warming caches can have an effect there too and things like that. So you can have both you know, bounded numbers there. So, so something like that is a very specific, it's specific, it's measurable, right? All of those numbers I specified are all things you could measure. They, they're something you could see. Specific, measurable. Uh, you want to make sure they're attainable within the, the service. That's your responsibility as the owner of a service. If another team says, I need these level of this level of performance, it is your responsibility as the owner before you accept that is to say, yes, I can do that. So they have yep. to be attainable to you. And this actually gets at something very important in implementing these sorts of things, which is to make sure that you are starting with goals that are near what you're currently actually doing. Right. And and step your way towards improvement instead of setting impossible goals and then, you know, punishing teams when they don't achieve something that that was so far outside of their ability. Oh, absolutely. The worst. There's two things that make a goal bad. One is when the goal is so easy that it's irrelevant. The other one is when it's so difficult that it's never set, never never hit. Yep. A goal. You should set goals that are, uh, in in the case of of SLAs your goal needs to hit the SLA 100% of the time. But it can't be, you know, three times what you are ever going to see because, uh, um, you know, giving you plenty of room to have all sorts of problems because then that doesn't make it relevant to the consumer of the goal. They need something better than that. That's where the the attainable and that's where relevant comes in. Yeah, and relevant is so important because it's so tempting this is where when, when it's the engineers that set those, those goals, those objectives in isolation, you tend to get things that are measurable and specific mm-hmm. and, achieve, and attainable, but not relevant. Right, I will, I will guarantee my service will have a latency of less than 37 seconds for this simple request, guaranteed. I right. can promise you that. Right. And, and the consumer will say, oh, well, I'm sorry, I need 10 milliseconds. 37 seconds doesn't, and and it, that sounds an absurd number, but you and I have both heard numbers like that, right? Where it's yep. like they're so far out of bounds, they're totally irrelevant. They're not worth even discussing. Yep. And a, and a sneakier example would be something like uh, setting an objective around how your infrastructure is behaving in ways that, that don't translate directly to the uh, the benefit to the customer. You know, if, if you own a web service that is serving directly to end users and your primary measures of system health are around you know uh cpu and and uh no. you know io well those might tell you something about what's happening but they are they are they not directly relevant to the customer exactly. so you need to you need to have those on your dashboards for when you're troubleshooting when there is a problem but that's not indicating the health of the system right so specific, measurable, attainable, relevant. So relevant means the consumer of your service has to find them to be useful. 
Mm-hmm. Attainable means that you as a provider of the service need to be able to meet them. Mm-hmm. Measurable means you need, need to be measurable. Specific, you know, they, they, they can't be general purpose and, un, and ambiguous. They have to be mm-hmm. very specific. So all those make sense. Yep. Does time-bound really apply here? I, I think it does. I think it in does. The, but in the sense that uh, when you're setting these agreements, you, you tend to say, <clears throat> this is my commitment, and you're, you tend to measure over a span of time. And there is a sense of the clock getting reset, you know, like... Th- that's true, yes. We'll, so we'll handle not... this much traffic over this period of time. Yeah, you're right. That's right. a form of time bound. I think when you talk about SMART goals, they're really talking about the time when you'll, you'll, you'll accomplish the goal. the goal. And what Fair we're point. saying is the time you Fair accomplish point. the goal is now. I mean, you're, yeah. it's, a, it's not a, really a goal. It's a... It's a agreement as far it's as a, performance. It's a habit to, rather right than a than it's a, a habit than versus achievement. a goal. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 That's that and that's actually a good point. These these aren't goals. You know, I'm not. I'm going to try to make this. No, this is what you're going to be performing to, and you can change mm-hmm. them and improve them over time. Mm-hmm. You can have a goal that says I'm going to improve my SLA over mm-hmm. time and make it make my SLA. Twice as good by the state. And that, that's a that's a perfectly fine goal, but that's mm-hmm. that's what a goal is versus an SLA, which says your SLA is something like uh, five millisecond latency with less than ten thousand requests, mm-hmm. and you can say that's great. I have a goal to make it a two millisecond latency with five thousand requests, and by this time next quarter, and at that point in time, then your SLA is now two milliseconds. But the SLA is what it is and what you're agreeing to committing to now. It's a failure if you don't meet it yep. right now, as opposed to a goal, which is what you're striving towards. Yeah, toward, towards completing something. Yeah. Right. Um, one, one anecdote that, a well-known anecdote that I think is interesting to talk about here is um, the example that Google gave, this is in the in the SRE book, of actually um, overshooting and being having a service that was too reliable. Um, I can't remember which service it was off the top of my head, but they actually had a service that they, they did not want to guarantee 100% uptime, but they ended up getting uh, over-delivering on quality for a while. And when, when that service did fail, users were incensed because there was sort of this implicit SLA. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been performing so well. And so what I love about that story is that they ended up uh, deliberately introducing failures into the system so that users would not become accustomed to too, too high of a performance uh, level. And what this underscores is how much this is about ultimately the experience of whatever person it is that needs to use use your service. This right. is not a purely technical problem. This is very much about understanding how your system can be maximally healthy and uh, maximally serve whoever it is that's using it. So yeah. I love that story. I didn't know that story before, but it plays very well into into the you know the Netflix chaos monkey approach to testing and that is the idea that you the way you ensure your system as a whole keeps performing is you keep causing it to fail on a regular basis to make sure 
that you can handle those failures. So what the Chaos Monkey does, and I'm sure we'll, at some point in time, we're going to do an episode on Chaos Monkey. Matter of fact, we should add it to our list. We um, what Chaos Monkey is all about is the idea that you intentionally insert faults into your system and at, at regular or at, at irregular times so that you can uh, verify that the, the, the response your application is supposed to have to self-heal around the problems that are occurring can be tested to make sure they occur. Now, you don't do this in staging. You don't do this in dev. You do it in production. But you do it in production during times when people are around so that if it does cause a real problem, if you turn off the service and that causes a real problem and customers are really affected, everyone's on board and you can solve the problem right away. As opposed to the exact same thing happening by happen chance at 2 o'clock in the morning when everyone's drowsy and sleeping and not knowing what's going on. You can address the problem right there, right then, as opposed to later on. And the other thing it, it helps with is this problem that you were addressing, which is uh, getting too um, used to things working. So if you deploy a new change, and let, let's say I, I own a service, and one of the things I'm doing, service A, and I call service B, and I need to expect the service B will fail occasionally. Well, I'm going to write code in the service A to do different things if service B doesn't work. Well, what if I introduce an error in that code that I'm not aware of and then I deploy my code? Well, it's gonna function, it's gonna work, everything's gonna be fine until service B fails and service A is also going to fail. But if service B is regularly failing, you're gonna notice that a lot sooner, perhaps immediately after deployment, and you're going to be able to fix that problem, roll it back if necessary, or roll forward with, with a fix to it to, to get the, the situation resolved. The more chaotic you put code into, the more stable the code is going to be. It's a, it's a weird thought to think that way, but the more chaotic a system, the more stable the code that's in that system behaves over the long term. I'm so glad you bring this up. And what I love about this is that we're we're really touching on similar themes in different contexts because chaos, both chaos engineering and the DevOps approach are really about understanding that we don't just have a technical system. We have a socio-technical system. We yeah. have this intertwined human and, and technology system. And so with DevOps, one of the advantages of DevOps is that it changes the behavior of the people who are creating the system itself. Because, you know, again, if you're, uh, if you're going to deploy code and you know that if something goes wrong, it's going to wake up that person over there that, you know, you know, don't even know, you, you just build your services differently. You're, you're not as uh, rigorous as when you know you're going to be the one woken up at 2 a.m. And similarly with chaos engineering, if you know that you're, if you know that service B is going to fail absolutely in the coming week, you're just going to be like, well, I may as well deal with this now as opposed right. to like, well, I'm under deadline. Service B is usually stable. I'm just going to run the risk and we'll deal with it later. Yeah. So it That's really drives behavior. That's how technical gets inserted into systems. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And That's the cool. other thing, cool. the other thing I love about about how how you kind of unpacked chaos engineering, is it it does uh, work 
on this very counterintuitive idea that you should be running towards incidents and problems instead of running away from them. You should embrace them and that will actually help you, as you said, make the system more stable um, because you are proactively encountering those issues rather right. than letting them come to you. Yeah, that, that's absolutely great. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, you're right. I, I love the, it's, we're not talking about coding, we're talking about social systems here. We're talking about mm -hmm. systems of people that happen to include code as opposed to systems of code. Yep. And that the vast majority of incidents that happen have a socio component to it, not just a code problem. Yep. It's someone who said, this is good enough. Or someone who, who didn't spend the time to think about whether or not it would be good enough or not, and therefore missed something. Right. And these or... aren't the bad people doing bad things. These are good people that are making mistakes that are caused by the environment of which they're working. And yep. that's why environment and systems of people and how they're structured and how they're organized is so important. I, you know, I, I keep hearing people say the, the, um, how you organize your company is irrelevant, right? It shouldn't matter. It's like nothing could be further from the truth. It matters, you know, the way you organize a company, the way you, how, you know, I, I hate saying it this way because I don't always work in this one, but how clean your desk is is a good indication of how clean the system is. And I don't mean that literally because I've had dirty desks too, but, yeah. but it's a, but it really is a good indication here. It's, it's how well you organize your environment, how well you organize your team, how well you organize your organization gives an indication for how well you're going to perform as a company from yep. this standpoint. Yep. And this, so when we, when we look at the, the, the realm of incidents, which are messy and frustrating and scary and expensive, and, you know, every, every tech company knows that they are probably one really, really bad incident away from going out of business. Like every, every uh, company knows that there's, that there's that really, really bad thing that could collapse the whole structure. And so the, you know, incidents are really high stakes, um, but that, that drives us to, to look for certainty and look for clarity. And so we look to a lot of these things that, that people have been talking about for years around you know, incident metrics. So you've got your, your mean time metrics. What's your mean time to resolution or your mean time between failure? And it's this, this attempt to bring some kind of order and, uh, and sense to this very scary and chaotic world of incidents. Um, but so many of those, uh, what are now often being called shallow incident metrics, end up giving short, short shrift to what we were just talking about, which is that um, this is a, a very complex system. It's the, the technology itself is very complex. Uh, the socio-technical system is complex. We're, we're trying to kind of get a handle on how do you surface those complexities and make them intelligible and make them sensible without falling back to some of these, these shallow metrics that, um, 
Niall Murphy, who was one of the, one, back to SRE, one of the authors of the original SRE book, had a paper out recently where he kind of unpacks the ways that these, uh, these mean time and, and other shallow metrics um, aren't statistically meaningful and aren't helping us make good decisions in the wake of these incidents. And, and so much of what we're talking about is, you know, SLAs are how do you make decisions about what work you're going to do and, and how much you invest in reliability versus new features. Yeah. And, you know, incident follow-up is so much about what decisions do we make based on what we learned in this, in this event. Yeah, you, you add a whole new dimension here to the, the metric discussion here because it's so easy to think about metric as, metrics along the line of how we're performing. And when we don't perform, it's a failure. Oops. But there's a lot of data in the oops. And, uh, you know, and you're right. Things like mean time to de detect and mean time to resolution. And those are important, but they're very superficial compared to the depth that you can get. And I'm not talking about Joe's team caused five incidents last week. And that's a problem for Joe. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the undercovering the... Um, the sophisticated connection between things that um, can cause problems to occur. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Digital Business. This podcast exists because of the support of you, my listeners. If you enjoy what you hear, will you please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or directly on our website at mdb.fm slash reviews. If you'd like to suggest a topic for an episode or you're interested in becoming a guest, please contact me directly by sending me a message at mdb.fm slash contact. And if you'd like to record a quick question or comment, click the microphone icon in the lower right-hand corner of our website. Your recording might be featured on a future episode. To make sure you get every new episode when they become available, click subscribe in your favorite podcast player or check out our website at mdb.fm. If you want to learn more from me, to check out one of my books, courses, or articles by going to leeatchison.com. And all of these links are included in the show notes. Thank you for listening and welcome to the world of the modern digital business. a modern organization running a modern digital application. Read more in my O'Reilly Media book, Architecting for Scale, now in its second edition. Go to leeatchison.com slash books or click the link in the show notes for more information.